Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I'm Tyler, and with me as always is my co-host, Smitty. You can go check us out on Twitter, give us a follow there, and check out our pinned tweet. We have our Christmas fundraiser going called Rockin' Around the 412, where we try to raise a bunch of money to give the Christmases that we got as growing up and we were fortunate enough to have. And so we just wanted to share that to people that aren't so fortunate. So you can go to our pin tweet on Twitter. You can also go to GoFundMe.com directly and you can read about the mission there by typing in rock around the 412 in the search bar. It should pop right up. You can see about it and donate there. Also, we have new channels. We have around the 412 channels on Spotify, Apple, um, some other podcast apps that I had never even heard of, like Pocket Cast and so forth, Google Podcast. <laughs> so if you want to yeah. do us a favor and go follow those, also go give us a subscribe on YouTube. We're trying to grow that as well. We're going to be posting to that a lot more frequently now. We're trying to grow all of our platforms as we move forward with Rocking Around the or Around the 412, not Rocking Around the 412, but also go check that out as well. Yeah. All this stuff, Rock Around the 412, Around the 412, as Tyler mentioned. It's scrolling at the bottom of the screen if you are watching on YouTube right now. But to give you an idea of uh, some of the platforms that we're on, but also like Instagram is something that we weren't doing a lot of before. Uh, YouTube Shorts is something we weren't doing a lot of before. And, and we really want to make a point to to start posting those. We know how well that those do. We know yeah, you guys don't. like to get uh, content in short form. You don't want to watch 45 minutes of us talking. Uh, it, some of you don't. Um, so this is a good way to, to get you guys different forms of content and graphically and visually, it looks a lot better too. And you can add stuff to it. It's just, it's more fun. I get it. Yeah. So before, before we the, started posting the reels page. on Instagram again, yeah. our, our last picture that we posted was just a selfie of TJ Watt saying, <laughs> Hey, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. To give you a good idea of the timeline there and, and how frequently we were using the Instagram page. Um, well, speaking of TJ Watt and the Steelers, let's dive into this game. They lose 17-14 week two in the home opener to the Patriots, which, by the way, man, have I had some really bad uh, experiences during home openers specifically for the Steelers. Maybe uh, you like every go. other game. Yeah, I have a winning record at Steeler games in general, but the home openers and, and not just from like a win loss perspective, just you look back my first year as a season ticket holder so the first game that i went to at heinz field as a season ticket holder ben tore his elbow against the seahawks mm -hmm. 2020 nobody was there for the home opener uh 2021 we obviously lost the raiders in that game tyson alualu breaks his ankle and tj Watt got hurt and missed the rest of that game from like uh, it was like the second drive i think that he got hurt or whatever it was very early in the game and then this one where like there wasn't necessarily like i, I don't we like no one came. I know Devin Bush didn't finish the game. Sounds like he's to be good to go, but just a bad game. There was no excitement to it. Um, right. at least from the Steelers' perspective. I know the, the Patriots had a couple splash plays, like this the gunner fumble on the punt, and yeah, so there's a lot of bad things that happen in this football game. But the reason I think I wanted to pivot um from the, the TJ Watt thing was we talked about it last week. We thought that with the way that the Steelers played in week one, even without TJ Watt, they would still be able to do a lot of the same things defensively. I mean, I know it's just one game. I don't want to overreact to this, but from seven sacks in week one to zero in week two with the loss of TJ Watt, they just, they looked like they looked a lot different. I know that like they still only gave up 17 points, but when you're not getting pressure on Mac Jones, that is the one thing he can do. You know, he can nickel and dime you down the field, put the Patriots in position to win. The wide receivers made a lot of really nice plays, uh, obviously right before halftime with uh, Nelson Aguilar mossing Akella Witherspoon. Not much he could do with that, honestly. But, um, I mean, what, what was your takeaway from this game defensively? We can get into the offense here in a little bit, but from the Steelers defensively, like I said, week one to week two, you didn't see that that splash play. You didn't see all those turnovers. Minka obviously with the pick, and you didn't see any of the sacks. 
Yeah, I mean, Minka was a bright spot of the defense once again, so no surprise there. But as far as the defense overall, it's definitely a letdown coming off the week they had the week prior, but it would be hard to come even close to replicating what they did the week before. But I was hoping for a little bit more than what we got, especially in that front seven, like not really getting any pressure on Mac Jones whatsoever. They didn't have a sack, which used to be a big deal because we had that long streak, but that was snapped like, what, two years ago or something? So I, I guess it is what it is. But I, I, I was I was thinking that even without TJ, they should be able to get enough pressure on Mac Jones to make him uncomfortable. But it seemed like he had pretty much all day to do what he wanted. Um, there, I mean, there was a few plays where he was hurried a little bit, but like we said, we never got home to him. We never got, mm-hmm. got him on the ground. And I thought that was killing the Steelers. Um, but then again, I think if you only let up 17 points, that's giving the sure. team a chance yeah. to win. I, I feel like that that's giving your offense every chance to keep yourselves in the game. And then the offense kind of let the defense down. So was it a letdown after last week? Yeah, but I don't think it was an overall bad performance by the defense. I still think they gave them every opportunity to win this game. Yeah, I, I think I was looking at, too, the way that the Patriots were able to run the ball um, and the way that they were able to ice the game on the ground. That was kind of a bit of a letdown. Um, but, you know, I, 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 like you said, it's hard to put it on the defense when you only give up 17 points, regardless of the fact that they didn't get to Mac Jones at all and, you know, the way that some of the plays that their receivers made and how well they ran the ball. The fact of the matter is they only gave up 17 points and they should have won this football. And that's with the the muffed punt by Gunner that put them at, like, the, and then the penalty yeah. that ensued that put them at like the 10 yard line and gifted them a touchdown. So the, the defense still overall played well. Um, so there's not really like a whole lot to talk about there other than, yeah, one week without TJ, no sacks. So that obviously cannot happen again. They got to find a way to get to Jacoby Brissett on Thursday, but there's much more to talk about here with the offense. Um, we put out a pool. Actually, I was curious where people would go with it. I assumed, honestly, that it would have the result that it did with who's the most to blame for the Steelers' offensive woes to start the season between Matt Canada, uh, Mitch Trubisky, and the offensive line. Now, I figured Matt Canada would be number one, but just because of like the reputation now of the offensive line the last couple of years, I thought they would be number two and then Mitch Trubisky number three because people just seem to want to let him off the hook due to Matt Canada in the offensive line. The thing is, the offensive line's been pretty decent through two games, and especially in week well, especially two. Especially in the p- pass game, I feel like yeah. they've been pretty solid. Run yeah. game, I still like there's still some gripe to them, but it's not like Mitch Trubisky is being pressured every time he steps back to throw the ball. Right. So, I mean, the pool, I guess, turned out relatively uh, how I expected. It's still, it, it, it goes to Matt Canada. That's where everybody is pointing the finger right now offensively sure there's some blame to go around and you can divvy it up however you want but it seems like that is the the large thing that people want to circle is once again the offensive coordinator is the issue we we thought you know once ben is out and we get a mobile quarterback this is what he needs to run his offense we're still not seeing these middle of the field concepts we're seeing the players talk about the routes that they're running and, and plays not being designed to to open up the field which is very damning um, you know, when you have the players talking about such things, they're not going to throw Mitch under the bus, but to start to come out and start talking about the concepts that are being drawn up. And let me say this. So if you're watching or listening to this, uh, you're going to hear something that or see something that no one else knows. I didn't tweet about this at all, but I was told by somebody that was on the Steelers last year is still on the Steelers that last year in the Ravens game, they ran the exact same play 20 times. There is not much to this offensive playbook. Alex Kazora put out a tweet today 
that said a lot of the team's concepts look the exact same when you watch them back on all 22. Well, it's because they are the same. They're running the same play about 20 times a game right now. And I, I, so to me, I am like on, I'm on this train with the majority of people that like Matt Canada is number one in, in my list of gripes right now with this offense. The big thing to me though, is you can't change that in season. Like you can, but it's so hard. Like that's, that's not going to be the first change. Well, that they and make. even if even you can, the Steelers are not a team that would ever do that. Right. Absolutely. So they do we're going nothing see, in season. So they're not going to fire see a coordinator a quarterback change. Well, before we would see an offensive coordinator change, even with the fact that their quarterback coach, Mike Sullivan does have some experience uh, as an OC and as a play caller, it's just, it's not going to happen. There, there's no way for the Steelers. And like you, like you said, for the Steelers specifically, but really it's just something that doesn't typically happen in season. So I really like watching this team and it's so frustrating. I feel like I'm just going on a rant right now and I am, but you are. if it, yeah, <laughs> if like, and I'll give you your a time warranted here too. one though. Yeah, I'll give you your time here too. But there's just so many things that I want to say about this. When you invest what the Steelers have offensively into their skill position players, right? A first round pick in Najee Harris, a second round pick in Pat Fryermuth, a second round pick in George Pickens, uh, a second round pick in Chase Claypool. You developed and then paid Deontay Johnson. You paid two guys on the offensive line as outside free agents and re-upped Chukwama Akura for. You cannot couple that, all those things that you've done to try to bring this offensive back offense back to life with Mitch Trubisky and Matt Canada, that duo. There's just no excuse for it. You have two offensive touchdowns through two games, despite everything that I just said that you've invested into this offense. This has to like we've been, and this isn't just this year. We've been talking about this for years now with this offense. They haven't scored a touchdown in the first half in 11 games. Or, I'm sorry, in the first quarter in 11 games. I ha- I had no idea that was the case. Yeah. But it, it's it's really disappointing when you think about the Steelers. The last time they actually had a legitimate offense was 2018. For yes. 2019 to now, we've just watched underwhelming unattractive offenses. It's the last and, time they've scored more than 40 points was that Thursday night game against Carolina in 2018. Really? I mean, that's not su- surprising now that you say it, thinking back to the offense. And it's it's mm-hmm. not that it's been the same thing the entire time. Like, 2019 is completely different for why the offense was bad in than 2022. Mm-hmm. But the fact still remains that the offense is bad. And I'll just start with Matt Canada at first. We were – I don't even know if we're saying we gave him the benefit of the doubt last year, but we were no. kind of giving him a, a – little little bit or at least trying to give him a little bit of leeway Willing to like, give him another year yeah so it's like okay you had a 39 year old ben we know you like a little more mobility in the quarterback room whatever but the play calling has not changed you have a mobile quarterback mr bisky is perfectly capable of being that that type of player that matt canada would like the playing calling has not changed and the fact that we have have seen that he's calling the same plays and not even shaking up the looks for the plays either. It's just the same thing. We've we've wondered why the Steelers have been so predictable on offense. That's why. The, the plays have not changed whatsoever. And I, I, if it's predictable to us as fans, imagine when it's predictable to a defensive coordinator in the NFL who has a greater mind than we do for reading offenses. I mean, it's been pretty ridiculous to just see the plays and know what's coming. And I feel like that has been the case with with Matt Canada and with him having what we thought he would want in a different quarterback, 
the play calling still hasn't changed. And another thing about specifically the game on Sunday, if they're talking about what Tomlin's saying, the Patriots were good at limiting splash plays. And that's why we weren't targeting downfield. That's why we we're weren't targeting over the middle. What happened to li not living in your fears? Which one is it? Are, are, are you not living in your fears or are you living in your fears by not wanting to throw down the field? Or do you have a coordinator that's not willing to do that and a quarterback and a quarterback that's not able to do that? It, it's probably a combination of all three, but the fact that they were Tomlinism living in your fears and not willing to take shots down the field when I know we have receivers that are capable of making plays down the field. Right now, yeah. we probably just don't have a quarterback that's capable of throwing the ball. And to go back to Matt Canada, I think that is limiting him, uh, his play calling is because he doesn't have the quarterback, but I just don't think he's a good coordinator as it is. What other team in the NFL is going to hire Matt Canada? What other team would want him? What call you're telling, you think any of the blue bloods in college football would want Matt Canada? If they don't want Matt Canada, why would the Steelers? You're an NFL team. Why should you hire him as your offensive coordinator? I mean, if I get it, it's week two. We have 15 weeks of football left for games. There's a lot that could change. But based off two weeks, if it continues to stay this trend and he's not gone by the end of the season, I, I, I have no idea what the hell the Steelers are doing. And a lot of that I will question Mike Tomlin on as well. He, he's your coordinator. Sure, yeah. You're picking him. Why is he still here? And I get it. They're not going to fire him in season. Now, moving on to like the other parts of the offense, the Mitch Trubisky. Uh, here's the thing. He's bad, but I don't know that changing the quarterback is going to do anything right now. Personally, I don't think bringing in Kenny Pickett will do anything besides maybe have more confidence in your throws. Because to me, Mitch Trubisky looks like a guy that isn't confident in his throws. He's... uh off balance for a lot of his throws. He's on his back foot. That, that's not showing that you're a confident quarterback making that throw. And I, I feel like even when he has a clean pocket, Trubisky is getting happy feet. He's moving around when he doesn't need to. He can just sit in there, plant your feet, and make a direct throw. But instead, he decides to move around, decides to scramble, gets off balance, and he's throwing off his back foot, which is probably why he's missing guys easily all the time. And I don't know that Kenny Pickett is going to make a difference with the play calling and all, all that's going on, will he be hampered too? Probably. That's why I don't I don't think, at least right now, it's not going to make any difference to me if Kenny Pitt, like people want him to play on Thursday. I don't think the offense is well, going to look not, any different. It's not going to happen. not happening. But it's not yeah. going to happen, but I just don't think it's going to look that different. See, my thing is, the play calling has been atrocious. Like I said, that's that's you know priority number one when I'm looking at this offense and things that are hampering it. But there are a lot of times, like watching that game back, where wide receivers are still wide open, like because of their own accord, they're doing that on their own. They're winning their one on ones. Deontay Johnson has been fantastic through these first two games, and it's why I think that the Steelers team right now is a great example of not being able to judge wide receivers solely off production is because these guys are winning, and they're just not getting the football. They can't control that. George Pickens has been open a ton. I don't know if it's 90% like he's alluded to today talking to the media, but Chase Claypool's been fine. You know, Pat Fryermuth has been fine. Like, these guys, they are doing things that, absent of quarterback play, are very good. You would look at his offense and say, these guys are winning a lot across the board. They're open. This offense should be putting up, at bare minimum, 
24 plus points per game right now. Uh, but they're not. And, and it's because of the, uh, the offensive coordinator. Sure. But the quarterback right now, what I'm seeing while watching him is in his mind, he's looking at what the defense is. He's not reading defense as well, but he's looking at the defense, what he thinks he's seeing. If his first read pre-snap, who he's determining, this is my first read. If that isn't open, he's checking the ball down. I think with the case of Kenny Pickett, he's somebody going back to college even, and I don't think that that's necessarily going to be something that just gets eliminated from his game at the pro level where he keeps his eyes down the field. I think he's somebody that is willing to wait for a play to develop. For example, there was a play where Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, uh, they ran into each other while trying to cross each other. But immediately after running into each other, they're both wide open. I I don't know how the Patriots messed this up defensively, coverage-wise, but they were both wide open right after. The problem is Mitch had already determined he wasn't where he was going with the ball. He's not waiting for things to develop down the field. So while I understand the point of the play calling is still going to be hampering him to a degree, I think Kenny will be willing to make some of these plays down the field that have been open, even despite how bad the play calling has been. Well, well, that's what I was saying, where I I think a difference between Mitch and Kenny would be Kenny automatically brings confidence in his throws. And and I think Kenny is not going to have that happy feet like Mitch does right now. Because I don't know if you've noticed that. I I just think that his feet get too the Do offensive line has been really good. We just mentioned how good they were in week two, yet they st- Mitch took three sacks. He is creating right. pressure on himself. Right. Dude, the one sack right before halftime pissed me the hell off. <laughs> Why are you not throwing the ball out of bounds? You are trying to outrun a defender, and you, you look fat and slow doing Is that it. The, oh, that's the one where Judon caught him. And then yeah, up with like his he's sack running to face. the sideline. Yeah. <laughs> Throw the ball out of bounds. You're a moron. Go jump off the Clemente Bridge. What are you doing? Holy crap. It pissed me off so bad that you got caught from behind when you could literally throw the ball away. It it, it made absolutely no sense. So, yes, from that standpoint, I think Kenny would be better. I just What I was saying where I don't think it matters is I just don't think the play calling is going to change. Now, will Kenny make some of these throws? I think so, probably. But just overall offense, I don't know how much it's going to be improved from a play calling standpoint that – that it's going to make any difference to the offense. Yeah, I don't think it improves from a play calling standpoint, but but what I will say is we know it's not going to happen Thursday, but I'm at the point where if this offense looks the exact same, regardless of what the result of the game is, win or loss, I'm taking that expanded time that you have between week three and week four because you're going to have more time off because you're playing on Thursday Night Football now. I'm taking that time and I'm preparing Kenny Pickett as the starter for the Jets in week four. What if Mitch throws like five touchdowns? He just pulls a Tua. Listen, like, yeah, he, but he is on borrowed time. And he oh, they've actually, they've taken For him sure. off the betting uh, off sports books now to, to be the first quarterback benched. Like, he is that heavily of a favorite now where you can't even bet on it. I didn't even know so, you could bet on benching a quarterback. You can bet on anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess that's but, true. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I think that's the point where we're at. We know that it's not going to happen on a short week, but I think the window opens after that because you have those few extra days in between uh the browns and jets games plus what better you know nothing against the jets they just beat cleveland you know they're they're an upcoming football team i think as well joe flacco's definitely performed better than i think people thought he would this year uh the defense has been solid they got robert sala who we knew like the defensive presence would probably improve that aspect of their football team but uh the point i was getting at was you're not going to have an opponent like that at home on the schedule for a long time afterwards. So like, if it's not there, it's like the sweet spot to get Kenny in. 
I, you're waiting until probably after the bye. And it's not like it's necessarily a, an easy, like the Saints come into town after the bye. But after the Jets, you got Buffalo, Tampa, you got uh, Miami on Sunday night football, like, you know, and then Philly and then the bye. So this road ahead does not look very good. And if you're not getting Kenny prepared for that game with that extra time between uh, the Browns and Jets, I, I don't know when he is coming in or when the ideal situation at least is to put him in. Can well, I ask, like, why is Gunner on the team? Is that still a valid question? <laughs> I, 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 if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a receiver that's on the team for the sole purpose of returning kicks, why can't you catch the ball? And especially, not even he dropped it; it hit him in the face, literally square in the face <sighs> yeah. mask. I, yeah. I, I would like to give him the benefit of the doubt, but after having Ryan Switzer for the couple years that we did, I'm just not really keen on giving receiver spots to guys that are only returners. And that they're not even good at it. But that's the thing. It's like I, I it looked promising, just like a lot of other things did in the preseason. Like he was being utilized out of the slot. Mitch seemed to like him. He was targeting him quite a bit. Like even with first team, and he had that twenty yard punt return in week one. Like I don't know. I, I guess for me, I'm just thinking, wow, like this is very unfortunate. And I get that we have like Ryan Switzer flashbacks right now with it. But I'm I'm not ready to completely write him off. I mean, it, it, maybe if uh, um, what's the, who's the other guy? Um, Steven Sims, like he's not even getting a helmet right now, and that's probably the only other guy that I would want to see in the return game. Uh, there's probably not somebody else that's playing a cur- current position that's active on game days that I would look at and be like, that's the return guy. Deontay, <laughs> with with the uh, all the. Uh, injury issues that he seems to have. I, I think that's the last thing I want is him returning punts as well. Yeah. But it, it, it always does seem to come back to that for the Steelers. Like, look how long we had to have Antonio be the punt returner because we couldn't find somebody else. And, and then well, we bring be- in this. He's better than anybody you're going to find. Yeah, we bring in this all pro from New England. And, uh, you know, he fumbles one in the in the home opener that turns into seven points against his old team. Listen, so it, we got some double age. It might, it might be an overreaction, but. Being did that make it seventeen to seventeen to ten or whatever? I don't know when when that happened in the game. I forget. That was before. No, that was that gave him a two score lead. That was before the Fryermuth touchdown. Okay, well, I'm just saying if that doesn't happen, I'm not saying the Steelers win the game because the offense is still just piss poor. But mm-hmm. it it might they probably would have. I think I think they would have won, and then we'd be talking about the defense, how lights out they had to play to overcome how bad the offense was again. I don't know. Maybe it's an but overreaction, but I'm just I'm just sick of these freaking receivers that only return punts. And I, I get it. He had the one 18 yard run after that. Whoopty freaking do! It still lost the game. <laughs> I I want to talk about something that I think people have really started to talk about on Twitter, but you know, no one wants to really seem to talk about Najee Harris in terms of his shortcomings because everything just gets pinned on the offensive line. You know, going back to college, I think like vision has always been the knock on this guy. And I think he left a lot of yards on the field. Um, I would have to go back again and see in week one, but definitely here in week two against New England, he left a lot on the field. I just he's not seeing the holes and and I can't necessarily I'm not going to blame that on his Liz Frank injury or whatever else he's got going on now as well. I just I think that this is an, an issue that he's had going back to his time in Alabama. It's never been a strong suit for him. And the other theory is maybe, you know, not trusting the offensive line 
and just not willing to to have that patience that like we used to see Le'Veon be able to have because he knew that holes were going to open up with this offensive line. I don't know that the trust is there yet, even though they haven't played bad. The perception is that they are bad, probably even internally for Najee Harris, even though he's not going to come out and say it. So I just I think it's a product of all of this, but I'm not going to absolve blame from him based off that like that's on him if he's not trusting his offensive line if the holes are there and he's not hitting them that's on him and again this is something not just brand new this is going back to college where his his weakness in his game has always been that vision yeah that's why i don't think the injury has anything to do with it and i don't even know why it would even even if that was the case and he never had this before this injury mm-hmm. I, I don't see how a foot injury is going to cause you to bounce it to the outside like just just not trust your offensive line and granted internally probably he does not trust his offensive line and believe me Najee I totally get it I I hardly (laughs) trust them now but they're not playing that bad I do think that they're still lacking in the run game compared to what they are in pass pro right now but they're still opening up enough holes where he could take it up the middle and take it to the right gap but I know it I know the play you're referring or at least I saw one on Twitter that that was referred to where there was a hole that opened up along the left side of the offensive line, but he just immediately bounced it to the right side as soon as he got the ball. Um, I, I think that probably has to do with trust. I, I, that would be my biggest thing is he probably just doesn't trust that he's going to. And maybe that goes back to like last season too, just thinking about like how many yards after, the, after contact did Najee have to fight for because the offensive line couldn't open up holes for him. So maybe it's yeah. just a reactionary thing and a reflex for him that he'll have to work out of. Um, but it's something that he's been struggling for a while. And Najee, as great as he is, he is not above getting some blame on him as well. Uh, that, that's the case. Blame can go all around for this offense because it is a, a bad combination. I mean, honestly, out, outside of the only disapp- non-disappointments are the pass catchers right now. Uh, because, yep. well, for one, they can hardly get a pass. Um, and when they do, they, they've been pretty solid. Well, yeah, but I will say, you know, take it for what it's worth. But pro football focus, the one thing that I will tend to, I don't know if like agree with them is the right word, but but put some value into what they're doing is along the offensive line. And James Daniels was very good in week two. Chooks has been good both weeks. He's actually the fourth highest graded tackle in football through two weeks. So at least on that right side of the offensive line, they've been they've been good. And, you know, I think that you need to kind of lean on that. And we talked about we thought like Mason Cole was their best offensive lineman going through the preseason. I don't know what's going on on that left side, to be honest with you. I haven't like necessarily. So I said I went back and watched tape, but I really wasn't watching the line all that much, which is a good thing, because last year, that's like the only thing that I really would have been keen in on, because that's how bad they were this year with everything that's going on between the, the route concepts that are being drawn up guys running into each other and in the same parts of the field and nobody over the middle being targeted and the lack of the vision from Najee in the run game. Like there's, there's so many other things that I'm looking at here offensively where I haven't paid attention to the offensive line all that much. And that's a good thing. They're definitely uh, an improved unit here through two weeks. And I just, you know, hope that they continue to stack that. And I think like, you would think that would be the case, right? I mean, it's just as they continue to play more and more together. Again, it, it's not for a lack of effort investing into it. They invested into it mm-hmm. this offseason. Yeah. So, yeah. And we'll I mean, hopefully on Thursday night, we continue to see it improve because they're not going to have Jadavion Clowney, but it sounds like the Browns <laughs> could possibly not have Miles Garrett as well. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, I think it goes without saying that that's a huge loss uh, if he can't go yeah. for Cleveland. I mean, I just, 
when it's somebody like that, even though he didn't practice today and there's like some talk about it, I'm just under the assumption he's going to end up being able to play. Like the Steelers obviously have to prepare as if he's going to, but Clowney got rolled out already. So like we know he for sure won't be out there. Um, and say whatever you want about, you know, his lack of sack production over the years. He obviously hasn't lived up to being a number one pick, but he's one of the better edge defenders in terms of stopping the run for sure. Um, and he still, you know, gets a good amount of pressures. I think playing opposite of Miles Garrett has been probably the best thing for him in his career. So, you know, that's definitely a big loss. But for sure, if Miles Garrett can't go and Joel Batonio is the other one along the offensive line that wasn't able to practice today for the Browns, those would be two huge losses for them and put them at a massive disadvantage. Yeah, I mean, and as far as the defense goes for the Steelers, if we're worried about the run game, it's going to be tested like almost no other team on Thursday because mm-hmm. Nick Chubb's been tearing it up so far. Coming this up a three-touchdown game. Yeah, so we'll see what really what they're made of on Thursday night. Yeah, you know, and it looks like the Steelers are coming into this game as, as close to full health as they could be. Obviously, we know TJ's not going to be around for a little bit, but Devin Bush is the only guy that in question, and he fully practiced on uh, Tuesday. So he, he didn't finish Sunday's game with a little bit of a foot injury, but he'll be good to go, um, which is a welcome sight because like we've, we've mentioned before, the linebacker play has definitely been better this year um, than what I think we fairly, I think it was fair to question what it was going to be like yeah. coming into the season. I mean, yeah, for if, sure. I mean, after, after watching Devin Bush last year and Robert Splain taking a step back from what he was in miles Jack wasn't good in Jacksonville. So right, like last but, year, but but they've been solid. Like I, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at how the linebackers have played. We're gonna get a Larry Ogunjobi revenge game as well. That's always good. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. Uh, this could be maybe a very he'll push ugly... Jacoby Prezet in the back. Yeah, this could be a very ugly uh, <laughs> Thursday night football game. I don't expect it to be high scoring. Why would it be? But I think that both of these defenses are uh, are gonna have their ways. To be honest with you, so. Uh, I don't know what the over-under is set at, but I'm probably going the under. Um, Let me check. All right. Well, do you have uh, – oh, you're checking real quick. I was say, do you have anything else, Steelers or, or football-wise, before we move on? Football-wise, uh, not really. Just some wild games this week. I mean, th- that Ravens yeah. game. And the fact that the AFC North lost, like, all, all four of the teams. Yeah. So, obviously, like, being at the game – on Sunday, you don't see as much of what's going on. Like it will, it will flash the scores up there on the board and everything like that. But I had no clue that Miami had come back. I had no clue that the Jets had come back. And then I got home just in time to see uh, Dallas beat Cincinnati. So I was like, man, like you look at it two ways. You're like, man, what a missed opportunity for the Steelers. Because if they mm-hmm. could have won that game, that's that's obviously huge uh, with everybody else losing. But they also don't lose any ground at the very least. So. Yeah, whatever. Uh, to- total, by the way, is set at thirty-eight and a half. Oh, that's super low. They know what they're yeah. doing. <laughs> they know what Ve- they're Ve- doing. Vegas knows. Yeah, man, they're probably it's probably to be thirty-eight or something like or thirty-nine points. Yeah, they'll they'll win the game. What what would that be like? I, I don't know. I'm not doing math, but we'll see where the majority of the money goes. But depending on that, either thirty-eight or thirty-nine points are going to be scored, depending yeah. on where most of the money goes. I just I, I, I right now I'll be honest I don't have a good feeling going into the game, and the reasoning is because I know even with Brissett at quarterback the Browns can still just hand off the ball and the offense will be fine. I'm questioning what how the Steelers defense is going to stop the run, and if they can't stop the run, is the Steelers offense going to be able to do enough to really 
keep up with what the Browns offense is doing. Yeah. I mean, as we sit here right now, it's hard to say because Miles Garrett, we don't know what his status is going to be. And then like for Cleveland's offense, if there's no Joel Batonio, he's a big part of why that offense, that run game works. Like, Hey, I mean, even without Miles Garrett, the Patriots didn't have Miles Garrett and Mitch Trubisky still couldn't throw the football. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I just, uh, and then I look at Batonio and think that's, you know, probably who Cam Hayward would be seeing a lot of, if it's not him, you know, uh, that's that's obviously a huge uh, downgrade, regardless of who you're going to for Cleveland. So, yeah. Uh, actually, let's do that real quick. So, you said you have a bad feeling. I will take the Steelers to win this game. I don't think it's going to be very pretty. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say like twenty-three to seventeen. Um, but I think it's. I, I don't think like the offense is necessarily going to be moving the ball, and it's to be like, oh wow, they scored twenty plus points. I think it's going to be pretty similar to like week one. If the defense doesn't score a touchdown, it's going to be something where they get them the ball and and plus territory and basically put up a touchdown for the offense. I'll say that the Steelers are going to lose twenty four to thirteen. I, I I think that we'll get in See, the Boswell <laughs> range a couple times, but I I just I have no faith in the offense driving the football down the field right now. If they lose, if they put up thirteen points on Thursday, I'm like I said, I'm getting picket prepared with that extra time you have before the Jets game. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, we can move on a little bit. Um, our boy uh, Danny Shirey, I saw him say something about don't read in too much to the Pens initial lines. So what we're going to do is read into those, um, <laughs> of course. So we got Gensel, Crosby, and Ross together. I mean, why wouldn't we? Uh, Geno's flanked by Jason Zucker and Danton Heinen, uh, Teddy Bluger, Drew O'Connor, and uh, Brock McGinn, Jeff Carter, Ricard Raquel, Kasperi Kapanen as yeah. the forward group. Right. Um, I, I, I think that's honestly pretty status quo. The only thing that I am looking at is that Raquel would be on what would be the third line right now with, with Carter mm-hmm. instead of um, either up with Malkin and taking like Heinen spot or Zucker spot. Um, I, I think that Malkin staying with, with Heinen would be what I would do. And I would honestly move Zucker down to Carter and put Raquel up there with, with Malkin. And cause I, I kind of like the idea of Heinen being on that second line with Malkin and at least testing it out, um, to see what they could do together. But yeah. as, as far as it goes, like if, they, if these were the lines rolling out in game one, it's pretty much status quo to me besides like one, that one thing is that Raquel's on the third line. Besides that, I, I feel like it's pretty vanilla. Well, that's what jumped out to me immediately, too, because I think in an ideal situation for us, Raquel's actually playing on the top line with Russ dropping down. Well, yeah, I'm not even talking um, about what I'm doing. I'm just yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about what, what I think could happen. Sure, but I thought at the very least, I mean, you're paying that guy what you are. I thought he'd be on the second line. Um, and I still think it could end up being that way. Again, we're reading into something we were told not to read into. I mean, why wouldn't right. we? Um, but. You know, I think just from like a, a playmaking standpoint and a defensive presence standpoint as well, I don't think you can have uh, Raquel Carter and Kapanen together. That just seems like a recipe for disaster in your own end. I mean, Dan Heinen and Jason Zucker bring enough of a defensive presence that I think you have to have at least one of those guys drop down and swap spots with Raquel. And the good thing there is Raquel can play either wing. So you can put him on either side um, and, and he'll be fine. And obviously Heinen and Zucker one of those guys is going to be playing on their off wing right now if they were both playing with Gino. And mm-hmm. right now it was Heinen. So I think that's something that I, that they're probably just toying with. And again, I think by the time that we're opening up the season, that's something that doesn't look the way it looks right now. 
But um, to me, what I did like seeing is it being Drew O'Connor as that like 12th forward that we're talking yeah. about, that kind of one open spot. Just because I am not a fan of Josh, Josh Archibald, I hope he doesn't make the team, to be quite honest with you. If it weren't um, O'Connor, I would give Zahorna probably a shot. I'm also really intrigued by Nylander. I, I'm kind of hoping he's like one of the first guys this year that gets a crack when inevitably injuries play a role. Um, but you have a couple other – like. They brought in uh, Drake Cagula. Obviously, you got Ryan Paling in that deal. So, you know, there's some other guys that could be in play here. But uh, Drew O'Connor, to me, is definitely the guy that I would have penciled in, at least for the time being. I totally agree. And literally every single name you said besides Josh Archibald is who I want to play ahead of Josh Archibald. <laughs> We've already seen it in yeah. Pittsburgh. He, he's not great. Give some other guys a chance. I, yeah, I, I would rather see like guys like Zahorna or Nylander. I mean, I'm really intrigued by Nylander. I know that he, he's mm-hmm. a guy that has some high offensive upside. He performed pretty well in Wilkes-Barre last year. Certainly there. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think that especially – I mean, we know, we know we're probably going to see him this year based off of the injury case for the Penguins. So mm-hmm. at, at some point we're going to get a crack of Nylander. Um, and as far as it goes defensively with these, these uh, matchups is – it pretty much seemed like the way I thought it would um, looking at what we did in the off season defensively, besides Latang not being in the lineup because he, he wasn't, he wasn't playing, but like Dumoulin being with Rue Weedle, insert Latang there. That's normal. I think mm-hmm. Pedersen and Petrie is going to be the matchup. And then I think Ty Smith and Jan Ruda makes to- total sense. So if Ty Smith is going to be your, your sixth defenseman with Jan Ruda, I think that matchup makes more sense because Jan Ruda can be the more stay at home defenseman for Ty Smith's offensive side. I think the only question is like, is, is P.O. Joseph going to finally make the team and actually crack this top six defensively? Um, if not, why is he here? <laughs> exactly. If, if not, you should have traded him a couple years ago to get the maximized value out of him. Uh, that, that's, that's the reality of the situation. But as far as the other pairings go, I think that's pretty much what I was expecting. And so looking at these lines, even though even reading into it, there's there's not really much that I think would be abnormal to see in game one. Yeah, I uh, see you actually you've mentioned uh, Ty Smith and Ruta weeks ago, probably the last time that we even talked about the Penguins at all on here. Um, and I just I wasn't with nine defensemen, nine NHL contracted defensemen and Ty Smith being one of those guys that can play in the AHL. I wasn't so sure. Uh, and I, I mean, again, we're, I keep saying this, we're reading into something that we were told not to read into, but right. it, this at least looks like right now he's in their initial six. So yeah, you really start to wonder like, man, what what are they doing with POJ at this point? And I'm completely fine. Like Chad Ruido might be the best seventh defenseman is, in the NHL. If he's going to be the seventh defenseman again. Is, is POJ going to be the new Ricola? Like he's just going to be a guy that should always be at the NHL level but Sullivan's not going to play him, and he just kind of like floats around. Um, I mean, the, the reason I think that Ty Smith could be that sixth defenseman, or at least in the bottom pairing with Jan Ruda, is just because I think mm-hmm. that that pairing makes so much sense for each other. I, I, like uh, Jan Ruda, I think, has the defensive prowess to be able to let Ty Smith do what he wants to do offensively. And I think Ty Smith is now going to be in an organization outside of New Jersey that – I think we'll be able to thrive in that offensive system because we've seen other defensemen be able to do that when they get to Pittsburgh. Yeah. I mean, you know, we give uh, Reardon a ton of crap for how the power play has looked under his watch, but you know, look at some of the defensemen he's helped turn around their careers. So Ty Smith was very good as a rookie. 
hasn't been very good since that. But if there's a place where he can turn around his career, I think it's in Pittsburgh. So definitely somebody still with a ton of potential. And, and I'm very intrigued by, I'm not going to say like the blueprint is there based off what they did uh, with Mike Matheson, but you know, I think there's something to that as well. I think he's really going to improve their ability to get the puck out of their own zone in their transition game. And I don't think that you're losing much uh, defensively from what you had last year. So definitely like yeah. that addition. Um, Pirates. All we got to say is uh, our boy, no longer a Pittsburgh pirate. Uh, Bly Madrid claimed by the Rays. I mean, listen, good for him. I mean, he goes to an organization that's kind of like, you know, always in it operates relatively similarly financially to the pirates. But when you talk about drafting, developing scouting, there's nobody that does it better than the Tampa Bay Rays. And hopefully that this is, this is a sign that they saw something in him. You know, he's kind of getting to that age where it's like now or never, if it's going to work out for him, 26, 27 years old. And, um, yeah, so I'm excited for him to get a fresh start. He had a a, a very short uh, cup of coffee window of opportunity where he he, sh- he showed out really good when he first got to Pittsburgh. Obviously, it didn't continue that way, but um, I'm glad that he we actually got to see him make his major league debut as a Pirate, and I'm I'm glad that he's now got a fresh start with an organization that um, that really knows what they're doing uh, at all levels. Yeah, as far as like teams to go to, that's not a bad one to go to for sure. Um, but yeah, grateful for Bly being always supporting around the 412. We were able to go to Altoona and support him as well, get to go to dinner out with him after one of the games we went to, him and Jared. So just just being ga- grateful to be around these guys and be even feel like I'm even closer to the organization, but also like these these guys are just some dudes as well. They're professional baseball players, but we 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 were able to see firsthand. There's just a couple other dudes. They're they're completely normal, and I'm I'm grateful to be able to get to meet him. I hope he has a great career for Tampa. Um, but yeah, and as far as the Pirates goes, otherwise, I, I said last week like the, the 12 of their last games were against uh, division leaders, and they got swept by, the Mets by one of the division leaders. They're currently playing the Yankees, and I believe full disclosure recording this Tuesday night, they're tied four to four right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you we'll, want full, we'll, full disclosure, um, the Pirates have second and third with nope, Pirates took the lead. Oh, they <laughs> took the lead. They, they might not get swept by the Yankees. Congrats, guys. Um, but I they're only eight games away from a hundred losses, and mm. I I'm just, gonna owe Doran Dickerson the hundred and some dollars. What, what did you bet that they're not going to get a hundred losses? I did. Listen, that we is talked about. Th- when, wait, hold on. When <laughs> did you make this bet? Before the season. Oh, okay. Sorry. That's not that's not as foolish. I thought I, yeah. I thought you were going to say it like last week. I'm like, you're an idiot. No, I, I said <laughs> there's no, no way. Historically speaking, it just doesn't make sense. Like they were on a hundred loss pace in in the shortened season in 2020. They lost a hundred games last year. There's just no way this doesn't happen. Like it's so hard to lose a hundred games, let alone do it at that type of pace three years in a row. But um, there looks like it's going to happen. So if there's one organization to do it, it's Pittsburgh pirates. I mean, of course they've got these two games against the Yankees, which I so mean, what it looks it, like they, they might win the one, but then the rest of their games are all against division opponents. And six of them are against the Cardinals. To end the they, season, they which is so weird to have back back series like that. They're actually, no, they can only lose seven games if they want to stay at 99. If they lose eight games, they're at 100. 
So what it is is if they lose a hundred, it's automatically a hundred dollars, and then like every loss after that would be an additional one. So say they lost one hundred two dollars, I owe them one hundred two dollars. You're wild for that. If they lose less than a hundred, it's a hundred dollars automatically, and then every a dollar for every additional like loss that they didn't have, basically. I mean, so I don't even know why you're telling me that part because you're gonna have to pay them. Yeah, <laughs> they're losing a hundred games. Yeah really sucks but uh here we oh, are well. i will say though uh luis ortiz pitched again today somebody that we talked about um and again you know just adding some more promise i think to what this rotation could potentially be like this is a guy I didn't necessarily have my radar but two starts and he's he looks like he belongs he just goes after guys um he's somebody that you don't have to worry about what what makes me the most mad about pitchers more than when they get crushed like giving up hit after hit after hit is when guys cannot locate. They can't find the strike zone. It's just walk after walk, have no control. You don't have to worry about it with this guy. This guy just basically goes right Mitch, after Mitch guys. Keller before yeah this year essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I cannot watch guy, when guys cannot find the strike zone. Yeah, I mean a couple more notes about the game that's currently going on for those listening back. This is Tuesday night's game. Um, as of right now, I mean Brian Reynolds is four for five on the night. And O'Neill Cruz has three walks. So, yeah, a couple, couple bright spots. And a game started by a lefty where he was yeah. hitting seventh because of that. Yeah. I mean, pr- pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Maybe they'll win this uh, game. We'll more, see. More of, more of this in the future, please. Especially like the immediate future so you don't lose 100 games because that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but other than that, uh, reminder to like and subscribe here on YouTube or any platform where you are listening on right now, whether that's Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast, Podcast, Podcast platform, whatever it is, the, those weird ones that you could Pocket potentially cast, be listening to as podcasts. Pod, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. I have a podcast.com, wherever this thing ends up going. <laughs> um, so do all that. Leave us a five star review if you can. Um, follow us on Instagram, give us a like on Facebook, uh, follow us on Twitter, check out the pinned tweet. If you are on Twitter for rocking around the four, one, two, with all the information, uh, to the GoFundMe right there, every single penny that is raised for this mission goes directly to families in the seven, two, four and four, one, two areas to provide Christmas for them. Literally every single penny. And when I say that I'm talking clothes, electronics, toys, makeup arts and crafts books whatever the kids gift want cards they get gift cards and then speaking of gift cards we also get a hundred dollar gift card for the parents so that they can provide a christmas meal as well to go along with that the full christmas experience like tyler and i have been able to enjoy our entire lives we want to make sure that these families are able to do so as well if you are not on twitter you can also go to gofundme.com type in rock around the 412 and it will come up that way um other than that i don't think we have anything else on the immediate uh ledger nope but um go stillers yeah. yeah so we will be talking about that game when we uh have a next yeah our next show we'll definitely be talking about that game just that game and then we'll have a, a stretch obviously that kind of sucks when you have that short week like that like it's cool not for the players to have a short week like that but then you got to wait a whole week and a half for another game so right um other than that for smitty for tyler this has been around the 412 and we'll talk to you guys next time bye-bye